We'll be looking at part of the message that God inspired Peter to preach on that Pentecost. Uh, looking in Acts chapter 2 and starting at verse 14. And would you please stand as we read from God's Word. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, thank you that these words are true. As incredible as they might sound, they are true. You are the God of wonders. Lord, the greatest of those wonders is that we can be saved, we can have our sins forgiven, we can be in right relationship with you and have your Holy Spirit living in us. Pray that your spirit would be alive and working through your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. In the military, they have things called officers' clubs. Officers' clubs are only open to, to officers and enlisted men. Certain ones, you, you can't go in that club. But in a way, the, some were treating the church before Pentecost kind of like an officers' club. They were kind of thinking of being in relationship with God. Well, that was only something certain people had access to. You had to be the right ethnic group. You had to have the right kind of background. You had to have a past that was, was just right. And only a certain few were able to be in the kingdom of God. That was the opinion of some. But in a way, what happened at Pentecost was the Holy Spirit came and made clear, said, no, everybody's welcome. Everybody who has a faith in Christ is welcome. The doors are opened up. You can enter in. This officer's club in the picture is from Fort Myers uh, military base, and they decided to, to change it around now that enlisted and anybody in the military can, can enter in. But God comes with the good news that anybody who has faith in Christ is welcome to enter in. It's open to all, and God's Spirit is offered to all people. It says that the start of this book of Acts, it tells about that all were gathered in the room. There were 120 there. There were men and women, all these who were believers in Christ. And then it says the Spirit came on and they were all filled with the Spirit. And it's this declaration that the Spirit comes to all who believe. He says, as he quotes from the prophet Joel, he says that, that he says what Joel said would happen was happening on that day. And what he said was going to happen and what happened on Pentecost is he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
He doesn't say, I'll pour it out on a certain race, a certain ethnic group. He doesn't say, I'll pour it out on those who are mature believers, those who have figured out the the secret words to say. No, he says, I'll pour it out on all those who have a faith in Christ. On his servants, both men and women, he says, he will pour out his spirit. Then at the Peter's conclusion of his message, he said in similar words, he said, repent and be baptized every one of you and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's saying to that crowd, he says to every one of you, if you repent and are baptized, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in the next verse, in verse 39, he says, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. He's saying the the far off ones were the non-Jews. He said, yeah, they're far off. And the Jews were the ones who were near. And he says, this promise of the Holy Spirit coming and living within, he says, it's for Gentile and Jew. Doesn't matter what your, your group that you might be, he says, the door is open up. And the Holy Spirit wants to come and enter into each life that has a faith in Christ. It's not just certain ones, but it's a gift that God wants each person to receive. In Acts chapter 10, we read about Peter who is directed by God to go to the home of this Roman military official. And we are also told that chapter about how God had been working in the life of this Roman, this man named Cornelius. And then Peter comes and he preaches the good news of Christ and they come to faith and then the Evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence is there, just like on Pentecost, they're speaking in tongues and, and things are happening and, and Peter realizes God's Spirit had come on them. And then he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation. He realized that day, even greater extent than on, on Pentecost, he realized that God's Spirit wants to live within each person. And it doesn't matter what nation they're from. It doesn't matter their past. God's Spirit wants to come and dwell within each one. We all have maybe certain neighborhoods, certain houses, certain places where we say, I'm not going to ever live there. And you maybe have that kind of spot. You may say, well, okay, there are certain places I'll live, but I'm sure never living there. Well, we would think God's Holy Spirit would have criteria even stricter. We would think God's Holy Spirit would say, I'm not living in that kind of a person. That one who's done that kind of stuff in their past, that one who's wandered far away, that person who's made a mess of their life, I'm not going to move into that house. I'm not going to move into that life. But God's Holy Spirit says, I'll move into any life. That confesses sin and that trusts in Jesus, God's Holy Spirit says, I'll move into any life. Any life that has a faith in Christ, I'm willing to move in there. We give thanks that his Holy Spirit's willing to dwell within each of us. And the Spirit is generously poured out. Twice he says, I will pour out my Spirit. Pour out speaks about a large amount all at once. He doesn't say, I will drizzle a bit of my Spirit into people. He doesn't say, I'll give a drop here or there. I'll kind of give you a little bit slow part of it over time. He he says, I will pour out. 
pouring out is how God wants to give his spirit. It describes the kind of giver God is. He's generous. He's wanting to give. He's abundant. He's lavish. In Titus 3 and verse 6, he says that God saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously. God wants to pour his spirit out on us generously. He wants you to receive a generous portion of his Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, he says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. He has poured out his love. God doesn't just give a little nugget of his love once in a while. No, he wants to pour it out. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We give thanks for the kind of giver that God is. He gives his Holy Spirit, he gives his grace, his love, he pours it out. He gives generously. I've talked before about pastor growth. My pastor growing up, and, and it'd be over at his house, and a lot of time, spend a lot of time over at their house with his, his son, who was my age. And, and pastor growth, really liked ice cream. And he liked to serve us ice cream, but he was also the kind of guy, he wouldn't give himself more than he gave us. And he wanted a whole lot for himself, so he'd give equal amount to us too. And largely it was kind of seemed, it was basically seeing how much ice cream there was in the house, and then he'd divide it by how many of us were there. <laughs> and so we'd get the big bowls of ice cream, <laughs> especially summer evenings. We'd get a big bowl of generous portions. That's how God gives. God doesn't just say, well, I'll give you the Holy Spirit in the appropriate dainty-sized cup. <laughs> no, he says, I want to give the big bowl. I want to give the big serving. I want to give of his Holy Spirit and his grace and his love. He wants to give his love until the cup overflows. God's Spirit is offered to all in all of God's children get to share God's word. Peter's message is the one that was recorded, but it says that all of them were filled with the Spirit and all of them went out and shared the word. We share the word that has come from God. He says that sons and daughters, men and women will prophesy. When we think of that word prophesy, we often think future that it's telling about future events. And that's a part of the word, but in a way it's a small part of the word, that really the heart of the word, prophesy means declaring a message that has been received from God. And so prophesy isn't necessarily so much about the time, but it's more about where the message came from. And for something to be a true prophecy, it's to be a word that comes from God. And that's what they were doing that day, and that's what they are doing throughout the scripture. The true prophets, prophets are ones who are saying, this is what God has said. And we all get to do that. We get to share the word that has come from God. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 21, he says, Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
prophets of Scripture, they didn't just come up with their own ideas, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we are to do the same today. We don't come up with our own ideas as to what people ought to hear. We share what God has said in his word. God's Holy Spirit wants to carry us along, and then we declare this is what God says in his word. In the Old Testament, we read of a number of false prophets who would come and they'd tell the king and the rulers what they wanted to hear. One place is in 1 Kings chapter 22, and there were a lot of false prophets who were coming to the king saying, everything's going to be fine, it's going to be good, you've ignored God, but don't worry about it. But then this prophet Micaiah, he said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him, the king, only what the Lord tells me. He said, I've got to tell him what God has told me. And he knew it wasn't going to be the message the king wanted to hear because the king had been ignoring God. But he says, I can only tell him what God tells me. And that's for us as we go to the world, we tell the world what God has said, not just what we think they want to hear. Imagine if you're with somebody, you're out fishing, and your your friend, they forgot their phone. And then you get a text from your friend's wife. And the text says, plumbing problems at the house, water is spraying everywhere, come home right away. But then you think, oh, my friend's not going to want to hear that. That's not good news. My friend is going to want to stay fishing. He doesn't want to go run home and fix the plumbing. So I'm going to tell him everything's fine. (laughs) Well, later on, you're going to get in trouble for that. (laughs) Because even though it's bad news, your friend's going to want to know bad news. And you really kind of have a responsibility. You got to share not what you think they want to hear. You got to share what you heard. In a way, that's with us. Some of God's word, it's, it's bad news for people who are ignoring God. But we don't just say, well, I'm going to share what I think they want to hear, not what God has said. No, we're to pass on the message that has come from God. Even the Holy Spirit does that in John 16, in verse 13. He says about the Holy Spirit, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. Even the Holy Spirit says, I stick to what the Word says. And if the Holy Spirit sticks to what the Word says, we certainly have to do the same. We all get to share God's Word. He says here in the verses, men and women were doing it, which in that day and that society was kind of a surprising thing. But he says this isn't just for a certain class of people. It's not just for those who have a certain education level, not just for those who have certain abilities and are eloquent. He says it's for everybody. Peter is the one who on Pentecost was up front speaking, but everybody was involved in the work. No matter the skill, we can all share the good news of Jesus dying on the cross for sin, rising again from the dead. And God can equip each one of us. God can use each one of us. Some people are maybe to be like Peter up front of a crowd, but others are to be like the rest on that day on Pentecost. Some were speaking to small groups. Some were talking just one-on-one. We all have a place. In the book of Numbers, chapter 11, 
tells about some who were prophesying and in Joshua, Moses' young aide was kind of concerned and he was, was saying, hey, they shouldn't be declaring God's word. Only Moses does that. But Moses speaks to Joshua and he says, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses showed real humility. He, he didn't say, well, I'm the only one who speaks for God and nobody else better do that. No, he said, hey, it's good if others are speaking God's word too. And that's today as well. And, and Pentecost is this declaration in a way, this example that every Christian, everyone who knows Jesus is to be out there declaring the good news. We declare in different, to different people in different ways, but we all declare the good news of Christ. There's a kid's song that says, all God's, all God's creatures got a place in the choir. Some sing low, some sing higher, but all have a place in the choir. All of God's people have a place in the choir. Do you have a different part to sing than I do? We each have different parts, but there's a whole bunch of parts that can be sung. God has a place in the choir for you. There's somebody that you can share good news with that maybe nobody else is going to be equipped and nobody else is going to be the right one to share the good news with that person. You might be just the one who can share the good news with them. In Psalm 40, he says, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. He could put a song in your mouth so that you can, can sing out praise and that you can declare the good news to somebody. We all share the good news and we all share the wonders. We sing about the wonders of what God has done and wonders will be seen by all. He talks in the verses about the wonders that will be seen. That day they were seeing wonders as the good news was being proclaimed in all these different languages. And it's this reminder and this promise that God's wonders inspire us to dream. It says in the verses that people will see visions, will dream dreams, both young and old. We read that and it can sound in a way kind of mystical. We, we wonder, well, what's he talking about dreams and, and visions? But in a way, it's not so much mis mystical as it's hopeful. It's God saying that because the Holy Spirit has come, we can dream of things happening that couldn't happen without the Lord. Because with God, as he says throughout the word, nothing is impossible. Because the Spirit has come and because the Spirit is active and present and at work, things can happen that couldn't happen anyway else. People can come to faith in the Lord. We can dream of people who maybe right now have wandered far from God. We can dream of them coming back to the Lord. We can dream of God equipping us and using us in ways that we maybe never imagined. We can dream of God helping us to share good news with other people. We can dream of relationships that right now are broken and fractured and seem beyond repair. We can dream of God bringing healing to those relationships. In Psalm 126, it tells of the people of God after they had been in exile for 70 years. And then God does miraculous work and they're able to return to Jerusalem. 
And then the psalmist says, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. They were like men who dreamed. They had dreamed that they'd ever get to go back to Jerusalem, and they got to go back. And now as they're back in Jerusalem, they're thinking, well, if God can do this, maybe he can do other things too. We are even more so to be ones who dream. Because we get to live this side of the cross and the resurrection. And we remember that Jesus died for our sins and then he rose again. We remember that God has sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. If God can do that, then he can do great things in our day as well. And so we dream. On Memorial Day, we remember and we honor and, and that's right. And it's good to remember but let us not just remember, let us also dream. We remember about ones who've sacrificed. We also remember about good work God has done. But there's a danger that we can just live in memories and we can think, well, God did good work in the past, but that's over. No, we don't just remember. We also dream. We remember and then we also give thanks that God's Holy Spirit isn't in the grave somewhere. We give thanks that the Lord isn't in some grave. And we give thanks that hope hasn't been buried in a grave somewhere. But no, hope is alive. We dream and we hope because no one does wonders like God. He speaks in verses about wonders in the heaven above, wonders in the earth below, about God doing things in creation that are beyond what any person could ever do, beyond what any force could ever do, beyond what we can understand. Some of those wonders were seen when Jesus died on the cross. When he died on the cross, there was this great earthquake. And, and as he was hanging on the cross, the sky went black. It was the middle of the day, and all of a sudden the sky went black. And it was God declaring, I can do wonders in this creation that you can't figure out. He says here in the verses in Acts, he talks about wonders in the heaven above. Man and his exploration keeps discovering some of the wonders. They keep putting new telescopes up. There's a James Webb Space Telescope that has gotten out looking at far reaches of the galaxy, and they've come back with these reports. They say there's more out there than we realized. And there's stars out there, and there's galaxies out there that we didn't even think could have been out there. Well, the way Scripture told us that. The Bible has said that there's wonders out there beyond what we can, what we ever will discover. Psalm 8, verse 3, he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? It is good to consider the heavens and the stars and the planets and then to think about that. And then to ask that question, who am I that you're mindful of me? And yet you are. We maybe will have summer evenings, probably. We'll have some summer evenings when maybe it'll be clear skies. You can look up, see some stars. When you do it, look at the stars and then wonder. Wonder that the God who puts those in place is willing to live within us. 
In Psalm 40, he says, Many, O Lord, are my God, are the wonders you have done. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. God's wonders are beyond what we have words to describe or declare. He speaks here in Acts of one of the wonders that God could do that he could, could cause there to, the sky, to, the sun to turn to darkness. We read that and we wonder, well, how could that ever be? And yet, in some ways, some of us maybe remember when that happened. May 1980, Mount St. Helens exploded. Ash went and it was blowing east. And then in the middle of the day, it was pitch black in Yakima and other places along the pathway going east. Turned to darkness. That wasn't any big thing for God to do something like that. God can do wonders, and the wonders of St. Helens continue. There's the wonder of things that are growing there. There's new life there that the, the scientists, after the explosion, said it will be millions of years till things will grow around in this region. There's already things growing there, and there's animals that have returned that they said animals wouldn't return for, for many, many years. And animals are back, plants are back. It's part of the wonders of God's work. God does wonders, and the greatest wonder is that all who call on the Lord will be saved. The wonders of the heavens above and the earth around us, that's a great wonder. But what is really the most amazing wonder is that we can be saved, we can be forgiven. But for that to happen, you must call on the Lord to be saved. He doesn't say all humans will be saved. He says those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call means crying out for forgiveness. Call means admitting your need, asking God to forgive your sins and calling out to him to save you. Call on the Lord. It's about repentance. It's about faith. In Psalm 116, in verse 4, he says, Then I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, save me. Calling on the Lord isn't some complicated thing that you have to figure out some certain words, you have to memorize a long kind of list of things. No, it's about humbling yourself, admitting your need, and calling on the Lord to save you. And he promises that when we do that, he will rescue, he will save. In the Gospels, we read of when Jesus walked on the water and then Peter asked if he could do it. And, and Peter started to walk on the water too, but then he saw the wind and the waves. And it says in Matthew 14 that he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And then Jesus reached out and grabbed him and saved him and rescued him. That's a picture for us how we're to do spiritually. We're to come to God and admit, Lord, I'm sinking in my sin. Lord, I'm sinking and I can't save myself. Oh, Lord, save me. And Jesus will. In Mark's account of, of Jesus walking on the water, in Mark chapter 6, it has this interesting part of the story. It says about Jesus that he was about to pass by them. But when they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. And then they cried out and the Lord came and stopped the storm and got in the boat. But there's this kind of sense that he was just passing by. And if they wanted to just keep trying to row the boat themselves, he would have let them. 
And he wasn't going to stop until they cried out. In a way, that's a picture for us too. If you and your pride think you can just handle life on your own, and if you just want to keep rowing yourself, if you, in your pride, like a lot of people think they can handle the storms on their own and they don't want to cry out for help, well, Jesus warns, you'll pass by. (laughs) If you say, no, I don't really need God, I'm just going to try to handle life on my own, well, there's a warning, he'll pass by. There's a need to humbly call out. Psalm 55, verse 16 says, But I called to God, and the Lord saves me. Call out to God, and he'll save. When somebody's in the hospital, they give them one of those little buttons, and they say, here's the call button. You need something. If you're in pain, you need something, hit the button. Sometimes, though, in our, our pride, we, and I've known folks who've been there, and boy, they don't want to hit that button. And they think, oh, I don't want to trouble them, and, and I can just handle the pain, and, and I can just do it myself, and I don't want to call for help, and it's kind of humbling, especially if you need help getting to the bathroom. That's really humbling that you have to call and ask somebody to help you to go to the bathroom. And so they'll say, no, I don't want to call and ask them for help. I'm just going to do it myself. We do that similar spiritually. We don't want to call out to God. We think, well, I can just do it myself. I don't really. It's kind of humbling to say I need to call out to God for help for all these things of life. The reality is you do need to call out to God. The reality is we can't handle it on our own. Hit the call button. God isn't going to be bothered. God isn't going to come and say you've been hitting that call button too many times. No, he never is going to say that. No, he will respond. Call out to him. He wants you to. Call out to him for help, and he'll respond. He'll come. He longs to do that. Because salvation is graciously offered to all. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That day, there was this mixed crowd there, as we read earlier in this chapter of Acts. There was people from various places, people who spoke all kinds of different languages. But he's saying here, he's saying it doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what group you're a part of. It says everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. The truth applied that day. It applies in our day as well. Everybody we ever encounter you might meet somebody and you might not know anything about them, but you do know something about them. You know if they call on the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. In Romans chapter 10, he says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. There's no difference. There seems to be all kinds of differences. But really, he says, there's no difference when it really comes down to what matters the most. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because God, as he says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, he says, God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Everybody we encounter, we know God wants them to be saved. We know Jesus died on the cross for their sins and Jesus rose from the grave And Jesus wants to be alive in their life. And Jesus wants them to know the good news. He wants them saved. He wants them in the family. 
We can know that about everybody, no matter what their background, no matter what their past. We know God wants them saved. We rejoice that, that it isn't an exclusive club. Because if it was an exclusive club, we'd probably be excluded. <laughs> but it's not some exclusive club. Instead, the invitation is extended to all. Andrew Jackson got elected president of the United States, 1828. And it was a kind of shocking election. He was the seventh president of the United States. He was the first one who wasn't part of kind of East Coast elite. Wasn't some landowner of Virginia or part of the Massachusetts elite. But he got elected president. And then after his inauguration, he as part of his kind of idea of being a man of the people, he said, we're going to open up the White House for anybody who wants to come in and be part of the celebration. Well, they had everybody coming in to the White House and being part of the party, and they maybe served a little too much alcohol and a little bit too much free food, and it got to be kind of a wild party there a little bit. But he was making the declaration. He was trying to declare, well, this is, this is for everybody. His government's for everybody. In a way, maybe it's a little like Pentecost. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and says, everybody can come into the kingdom. The, the religious leaders of the day, they were kind of like the East Coast elite of Jackson's day. The religious leaders were saying, no, we don't want riffraff. They shouldn't be coming into the White House. And the religious leaders were thinking, ah, oh, those riffraff, those non-Jews, they, they aren't really welcome in the kingdom of God. But God makes clear on Pentecost, no, the invitation's extended. Jew and non-Jew, clean past, not clean past, no matter who, the invitation is extended. And yeah, that might lead to some craziness. <laughs> It might lead to stuff. It might lead to people coming in that you might wonder, boy, really, God wants them in the kingdom? Yes, he does. It makes no difference. He wants all to come and be part of his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that the invitation truly is extended to all. Thank you that your Holy Spirit has come wants to enter into each life and wants to draw each of us into the family of God. We rejoice that the opportunity is available for all. In Jesus' name, amen.